On this dynamic episode, we look at how warriors persevere and overcome challenges in their lives. Our special guest today is a man who exemplifies uncommon valor, not just in the battlefield, but in life. Navy SEAL Remy Adeleke is an author and he's an actor. He's a man with a conviction to become the best at whatever he puts his mind and soul into. His story is a very powerful one. Remy went from living a life of abundance in Nigeria to living a tough, tough life in the Bronx. Basically, he went from being a drug dealer to a top-notch Navy SEAL. We're talking about a man here who stepped it up to that next level and overcame monster challenges in his life. As always, brace yourself for a very raw and in-your-face episode. Stand by. Welcome back to The Man of War. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, I am your host. More importantly, as you know, I have one single mission. That is to transform you, to forge you into a modern-day warrior. We're talking about developing your mindset. We're talking about developing your self-confidence, your self-discipline, all on the road to success in all facets of your life. Listen, talk about success of all facets here. We're going to throw it down downtown Miami, December 1 and 2 at the Ash Auditorium at the James L. Knight Center inside the Hyatt Regency. Listen, this is going to be an elite event. Make no mistake about it. I want to shake your hand there. I want you to be there for so many reasons. We're talking about a life-changing event here that by the time you walk out of this event, I guarantee you two things. You're going to be more, much more self-confident, and you are going to have that strong mindset in between your shoulders to be able to freaking overcome any obstacle that's thrown your way. You're going to be able to lead yourself to success. Make no mistake about it. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com and get yourself your tickets right now before it's too late, before they sell out, and also before they go up in price. Because again, as the event gets closer, tickets have been going up in price. All right, conclaveofwarriors.com. I want to see you in Miami. Now check this out. For all of you who have given us reviews and left us reviews on this podcast on iTunes, I truly appreciate it. And I just ask for those that have not, please do me a favor. It'll take you one minute of your time. Leave us a review on iTunes. Listen, we we put out multiple segments every single week. We bring you some badass content. I am telling you, you are guaranteed here that we're not going to sit here, drink beers, get drunk, and blah, 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 and talk bullshit for, you know, 45 minutes of a, of a 60-minute episode. Everything you hear and you listen to, it's very high quality. Our standards are very high. We have very good, solid interviews. It's all about information because we value your time. And I want you, when you have your earphones on, right, when you're driving in the car, when you're working out in the gym, I want you to start gathering this content, right, assimilating this content. That is so important. That's why my goal is to bring it to you as clear as possible so you can truly get something out of these episodes, right? Out of this Man of War podcast. 
All right, my brothers, of course, give me a quick follow on Instagram at Man of War with two R's. And let's just get right into this episode. You are going to love it. Remy Adeleke, my brother, an honor to have you on the Man of War podcast. Awesome, man. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. This is an honor and a privilege. Dude, man, this is like, uh, you know, we were speaking before the podcast here and it's just some great stuff. I, I, I want to dive deep into your mindset and your career and, and, and kind of feel this out. And for our listeners here, I want you to just kind of briefly introduce who you are. Yeah, so my name is Remy Adeleke. Um, just briefly, I, I uh, spent 13 years in the military. The majority of that time was spent in special operations in the SEAL. After I got out, I found my way into business and as well as acting in the film and TV industries. Been married for seven years, and I have uh, uh, two boys and third third on the way. We don't know what it is yet, though. Oh man, awesome, awesome! Bless you, brother. That's great. So. All right, let's go back to your childhood here. All right, let's go back because, you know, you were mentioning that your last name is from Nigeria. So give me a little bit of uh, of juice there. What's going on? Yeah, so my father, he was uh, a well-known Nigerian engineer, and he was a chief uh, in the in the uh, tribe that, that's known as the Yoruba tribe. There's three major tribes in Nigeria. There's many other tribes, but the three major ones are uh, Yoruba, Igbo, and Hausa. So my father was Yoruba. Uh, and our last name, Adeleke, means the crown is above. My full name, Aderemi, means the crown has appeased me. Everybody just calls me Remy for short. Um, so, yeah, I was born into a very wealthy family. My father, he, uh, was a, he was an entrepreneur himself as well as an engineer. He worked on projects all across the world. And uh, one of his most, his biggest project was a project known as the Lagoon Development Project. And uh, what that was is that was one of the first man-made islands in the world. And that island still exists today. And it's known as Banana Island. It's worth, worth billions of dollars. So because of my father's success, um, we, lived, we lived a great life uh, in Nigeria. I mean, the life of opulence. Wow, that's interesting, man. Very cool. Now, uh, your dad, basically, he, I mean, did he grow up from a hardworking family and then he just kind of made it? Or, I mean, because, you know, in Nigeria, I mean, in the United States, we don't know, you know, we don't really know that much about Nigeria. It's one of these countries that for the most part gets visited, but doesn't get really talked about that much. So I, I want to talk a little bit about Nigeria and where your home is and yeah. I mean, is it is it different than here in the, in the United States? I know that obviously it's a third world country. You know, we think of it as there's a lot of starvation, but I'm thinking in my head, man, look, the pictures that I've seen of the beautiful mountains, I mean, it, it must be a beautiful place. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's actually not a third world country. It's a very... Oh, it's uh, not? Okay. Not, okay. not, not the world, third world at all. It's a very westernized country. Um, um, they They... They produce the most oil on the continent of Africa, uh, so it's their biggest export. They also export um, coal, natural gas, cocoa. So it's a very, very, very wealthy and rich country. Uh, it's the richest country on the continent of Africa. Um, the Damn, issue okay. within yeah, the issue within Nigeria is corruption. Um, uh, corruption on on a large scale. Nigeria is consistently ranked by. Um, uh, the corruption watch the international i forgot the international organization that rate, ranks uh, corruption around the real world but it's consistently ranked as one of the most corrupt nations in the world it's systemic as soon as you get off the plane in nigeria the tsa agents bribe you when you're going to the airport to take off they bribe you um you get Damn. pulled over 
by a police officer. They bribe you politicians. The reason why they want to get into politics, not all politicians, but a good number of them, is because that's how you get rich. Um, you'll get a politician mm-hmm. that'll go into office and he'll come out six years later a billionaire. <laughs> or wow. general come out of the military a billionaire. Um, so corruption is a big thing within the, within the Nigerian uh, government system in and of itself. Um, but with that um, said, there are people who are able to rise through the ranks, kind of like my father. So my father, his father was, um, he was a prominent chief. Um, my father was the firstborn son to my grandfather. Uh, and I say that because my grandfather had like seven or eight wives, um, uh, that he was married to at the same time, because that's part of the culture. My grandfather was Muslim as well as, as, as a chief. So that was part of the culture. Um, right. my grandfather died when my father was, uh, I want to say my father was about eight years old, seven or eight years old. And when he died, when my, my grandfather died and uh, my father's mother, my grandmother, um, she was given a stipend and then she decided there's no way I'm going I'm to keep raising my son here in the north of Nigeria. So she moved my, my, my father down to the, to the southwest, the southwest western area of nigeria and at the time they were christian missionaries who were there uh teaching english and and teaching the gospel and science and all of these uh, western education uh type lessons and uh my father was a savant he picked them up immediately he memorized (laughs) one he memorized the bible he memorized uh, science and math all of these different things he was able to pick up really really quick and and all the missionaries were astounded because they didn't understand how this kid who essentially came out of the bush was able to wow. was so intel- intelligent and was able to learn so quick. So that's kind of how my father rose through the ranks was through education. He ended up getting a full ride scholarship to study engineering in London. Uh, he got his, Amazing. Uh, degree, Amazing. His, his master's in, in architecture as well as engineering. That's where he kind of got his start. So your, your dad basically he when you grew up you what what kind i mean for the most part your family what what age did you get down here to the states uh i left when my father died uh so i was five okay okay so you were were you grow up i mean you grew up muslim or you grew up christian you grew up what was your culture back then so my dad he he kind of took on a christian name he added the name john uh, to his to his name, uh, but he wasn't like a devout Christian or anything like that. Uh, my mom, she was Baptist. So as a kid, uh, and this is years after my father died, uh, growing up in the Bronx as a kid, my mom would take us to Baptist church. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. And uh, so, so you came here to the States about five years old or so? Yeah, about five. So in 1987, my father, as I mentioned earlier, he was uh, involved in this project called the Lagoon Development Project, and he invested millions and millions of dollars into this project, which was, again, this island. And long story short, I talk about it more in my book, but the Nigerian government being corrupt at the time, they essentially stripped my father of everything. Uh, They they stripped him of all of the money, all of the money that he put into this project and the land from him. So, And he died in the midst of it being stripped and him fighting them is when he died. Uh, so when he died, we essentially went from rich, traveling the world, nannies, drivers, you know, cooks, everything, uh, mm-hmm. to being poor. And that's what my mom, my mom was American. And my mom was like, just like my grandmother uh, on my father's side, my mom was like, there's no way I'm raising my two boys here in Nigeria. So my mom moved back to where she, where she knew, which was New York City. And that's how I grew up in the Bronx. So talk to me about you coming up in the Bronx, you know, at a young age, 
you know, coming from Nigeria, especially coming from a level where, you know, you were very, your family was very wealthy. I mean, how did you, how did you transition? Yeah, you know, I was so young when everything happened that there wasn't much of a transition for me. I didn't understand what was going on. My father traveled a lot. So to me, he was just on another business trip. Uh, I didn't understand that he died. I remember my mom told my brother and I uh, that he died. I'll never forget the day after she told us my brother and I just went back to playing as if nothing happened. Like as if nothing happened at all. Um, so, so, So I didn't really understand what was going on uh, until I until I got until I was about eight years old that's when it finally hit me when I remember I was in our apartment and we had a a two-bedroom apartment me and my brother shared a room and 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 it was just our lack you know there were times when my mom didn't have enough food to 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 feed herself she just had enough food to feed my brother and I and and I began to see things like that and I began I remember going to the rent office with my mom and she would beg uh, the, the, the landlord, hey, can you give me another week? Can you give me two weeks? I, I don't have the money right now. And that's when I really began to realize, dang, like, <laughs> we poor. We ain't got nothing. Like, <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, I bet. Yeah, and, and that's when I really started looking for a father figure. But that's, that, that was kind of how it started. Damn. All right. So here you are basically now into your teens, going into high school. And uh, talk to me a little bit about that transition from high school and then all of a sudden you hit the military. Yeah, so, you know, in high school, I was, I mean, well, before high school, I got into hustling. So I started out stealing from my mom, and then that progressed to taking jobs and stealing from jobs, and then that progressed to selling drugs, and that progressed to running high-level scams. Um, when I was in high school, I had this I had this scam slash theft ring going on where I was working at a sneaker store, and I was selling, you know, <laughs> if a sneaker costs $100, I would tell a customer, give me $70 cash at a table, and, and, and you could walk out the store with a sneaker. So I had this big sneaker ring at my high school where I was selling Jordans. People would come to my job and I would just sell them Jordans that were $140 for like $100 or uh, or 70 So I was bringing in tons of money. And then when I got out of high school, that's when I got in selling drugs, um, heavy to make money. And then, and then from there, I went into high level, you know, scams. And so, you know, when I was, by the time I was 19, I had tons of money. I had nice, nice, 2001 Lincoln LS. I had girls. I had a crew, and that's and I had my record company, which I was investing pretty much the majority of the money I was making illegally into. So, so I was pretty much at the top of the game. But what happened, and what essentially ended up playing a role in me joining the military, was I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer that went really, really bad. Um, I sold them some products. Products were supposed to last for a certain amount of time, and only lasted for a fraction of that time. And, and this drug dealer came to my house, apartment, and he said, listen, and I knew who this dude was. He was a real deal. He was legit. He was a, he was a killer. And he said, listen, if you don't give me my money by this time, things are not going to go too well for you. And I knew what that meant. I knew that if I didn't get him his money, he was going to kill me. And so I yeah, went damn. And, I, and I made him his money. I hustled. Sure. I already had a good chunk of change, but I made him the remainder of the money and I paid him back. And that was when I... I woke up and was like, okay, I need to get this street thing up for a bit or I'm going to end up dead on prison. And I essentially st- laid low for six months. This this happened in December of 2001, uh, a few months after 9-11. And so six, for six months, I laid low. And then in June of 2002, that's when I, I was laying in my bed and I heard this voice speak to me. 
Now, at that time, I thought it was my subconscious, but in retrospect, being who I am now, I truly believe that it was the voice of God. And, and that voice essentially said to me, you need to get out of here. <laughs> you need to join the military. <laughs> and and it, it was crazy because there was nobody in my room. The TV wasn't on. My mom was in. It was, it, it was like it was, it was literally a voice. And I remember arguing with this voice because I hated authority. I liked my clothes baggy and my hats backwards. I didn't like them tight uniforms that the ROTC kids were wearing in high school. Um, I, I hated the police. I associated anybody in a uniform as a police officer. And so for me to join the military was totally contrary to who I was. And so I remember just battling with this voice. And then finally, I realized, I said to myself, what else do you have? Look around, Remy. Look at the same apartment you've been in. Look at all the stuff that you did. Nothing has, has worked for you. What else do you have? And I was just like, that's right. I don't have nothing left. So that's when I, I, I made the decision. All right, I'm going to give this. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to give this military thing a shot. So I ran down the street and ended up in my recruiter's office. Damn, man. So... When you stepped into your recruiter's office, was it something like, hey, you know what? I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to be an elite operator. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the reason why I was saying all that was because she was fine. The recruiter was fine. And I was trying to impress her. Uh, but deep down inside, I, I know I didn't have what it took to be a SEAL. But, uh, but yeah, that's when I was kind of like, yeah, I want to try the SEAL thing. But uh, and I talk more about it in my book, but she ran my background. I had warrants out for my arrest, and she had to sneak me into the Navy. It's a whole crazy story. And I don't have time to share right now. But but when I got to my boot camp, when I got to boot camp, uh, the Navy SEAL came, and he did a, present, a presentation on what SEALs do. He showed this video of SEALs jumping from planes, scuba diving, you know, driving doom buggies and they had long hair and beards. And I was like, yo, like I always, you know, since I was a kid, I heard about the seal thing and I wanted to do this thing. And, and now like, I really want to do this thing. Um, so that's when I really got serious about it. But the problem was I couldn't swim. I didn't have the academic scores and I was skinny. So, um, there was no way I was going to get the seal training in boot camp. So take us through buds a little bit. I mean, what, how did, how did you push? How did you get through it? Um, and more importantly, you know, the bottom line is that you're, you're down on yourself. You're coming from the streets. You're coming from, you know, drug selling, uh, running, you know, high level scams, everything you have in your, in your life pretty much is, is darkness, right? I mean, it's, it's shit that you're doing out there that in reality, you know, it's not good for you. And then all of a sudden, one day you hear a voice, you wake up, you get enlightened, man. And by the time you know it, you're, you're in the recruiter's office trying to take that step forward to make a life change, a true life change. So tell me how you got through buds. Man, I want to say a few things got me through buds. One, my upbringing in the Bronx. I mean, so the Bronx is a very tough environment to grow up in. And, uh, but unbeknownst to me, my upbringing in the Bronx was preparing me for my future to, to get through SEAL training and be a SEAL because in SEAL training, you, it's literally a kick in the nuts every day. I mean, the way you get talked to, and it's all part of the mind game. The mind games, just the PTs, everything is just meant to break you down you know, physically, mentally, spiritually to just destroy you. And um, 
every day growing up in the Bronx, you know what I mean? You get broke down. So I, I so that was one thing that got me through was just my every my background and the way I was raised. You know, I was raised in this tough environment. So when other kids in my class who were from like North Dakota or, or Missouri were crying, I was laughing like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that was one thing that got me through. Another thing that got me through was um, I had failed so much in life um, prior to, you know, going to SEAL training that, it, this was it for me. This was like, it was like, I can't fail at this. I failed at everything. I failed at being a son. I failed at being a brother. I failed in the streets selling drugs. I failed at my record company. I failed so much in life. I can't fail at this. Uh, and, and the third thing was, I, I just wanted it. You know, for me, it wasn't an option. A lot of guys going to SEAL training and, and, and it's like, and I, well, if I don't make it, I do this. But for me, there was no other option. Like, I have to make it or I have to die uh, trying to make it. And so um, those were the those were probably the three biggest things that that got me through. Um, and obviously they they're all rooted in mental toughness and and perseverance. But yeah. So, you know, obviously, growing up in the Bronx and then going through SEAL training, you know, coming out the other end out of the military. I mean, you were one tough. At least mentally, you were one tough dude, man. So. How did you carry that mentality, right? That that warrior mentality, that tough mental state, all the way across into the entrepreneur world when you walked out the other end. Uh, it was easy because a lot of things, to me personally, speaker personally, a lot of things that that you do in the military, and specifically in special operations, they translate. You know, communication, the way you command, communicate, in, 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 in the SEAL teams, that can translate into how you communicate in business. Um, the way you act as a leader and, 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 and are taught as a leader to be a leader in the SEAL teams, that translates into business. So it was seamless for me. Uh, now, I remember when I first got out, I didn't recognize how many principles translated. But as I begin to go forward in business and have business meetings and, 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 and begin to build my company, at first I tried to do it you know, out of education and out of, you know, you know, which, which is relevant and which is needed. But then I begin to realize how about I just structure my business and the way I do things, the way my life was structured in the field teams. And as I began to do that, that's when I really began to see success. And that's how I began to crush the competition and just and just go far beyond those my peers who were not who were in the same businesses or, or business sectors or acting whatever it is that I was doing they would and and they had been doing it longer than me you know so so it was so it was seamless for me but when I finally realized how 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 priceless uh, those principles are that I learned in the field teams and how they translate into other areas of life so here you are obviously through through your career when you got out of the military i mean what was the first business that you started that you opened what was your first entrepreneur gig out there uh, my first business was a consulting business um and it was just getting with corporations i worked with ypo young presidents organization uh uh their organization all across the world they have chapters all across the world and 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 essentially to be part of ypo you have to be a millionaire or billionaire under the age of 40. uh so i got in with them because my brother-in-law is a ypo guy and so what they would have me do is, is they would fly me 
you know, different parts of, of the country and have me do talks, have me uh, do consulting gigs with their companies, um, have me talk to their to their leadership team about critical thinking, about decision making, about mental toughness and, and these principles that I've mentioned. Hey, my brothers, just a quick break in the action here. Listen, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're a businessman or woman, if you're a business owner, if you are a warrior-minded individual, I have something very special for you. We're talking about the Conclave of Warriors, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2. This event is a life changing event. It'll strengthen your mindset. It's going to increase your self-confidence. It's going to increase your self-discipline. It's going to help you lead yourself to success. Make no mistake about it, though. I want to tell you straight up, okay, this event is not for the faint of heart. By the time you walk out of this event, you will be changed forever. Again, it's December 1 and 2, downtown Miami at the Ash Auditorium in the James L. Knight Center that's going to be inside the Hyatt Regency Hotel. Grab your tickets at conclaveofwarriors.com. And and that's kind of how I started. And I would just build my curriculum based off of what what the what the uh, what the uh, client was looking for. Um, and, that, and that was another thing that helped me because I began to see how sometimes in the consulting space, a lot of people go in with a generic curriculum that they teach to everybody. And, and one thing that I learned in order for me to stand out is I need to be able to go to an organization, whether it be an athletic organization that I work with, pro, collegiate, and otherwise, or whether it be a corporate organization and say to them, what issues are you dealing with? What are you looking to get out of this program? And take everything that they say to me and be able to, to, to regurgitate a curriculum, create a curriculum that I think can help target their needs, their wants and their needs. And so, so that was my first business. Very cool. Very cool. So talk to me how you got your gig on Transformers. I need to know that. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was a phone call. Um, uh, years earlier, I had worked on the TV show uh, for a day, nothing big. I was an extra on a TV show called The Last Ship. And um, uh, Michael Bay was looking for an African-American former Navy SEAL to, 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 to be a part of the film, not in a massive role, just a small little uh, you know, day role. I was just supposed to be on for a day. And the woman remembered me, and she reached out to me, and she said, hey, are you available tomorrow? And I said, I was in grad school at the time getting my master's. And, and I said to her, yeah, I can make time. And she said, well, send me some pictures of you. Just doesn't have to be headshots, just whatever you have. And, and I emailed her a bunch of pictures. And, and she showed them to the director, Michael Bay. He liked them. And the next day I was on set. Um, I just did what I was told. You know, again, how, how things, how what you do in the military, not just in special operations, but how what you it proved that what you can do in the military and what you do in the military translates into business and other areas of life. Because when I got on set, it was just natural for me to not question anything, not go around and try to be buddy, buddy with everybody, but to just do what the director told me to do. <laughs> so just like my, just like my chief or my platoon leader or whoever would just tell me, Remy, go climb up that mountain and go get me some intel or Remy, go, you know, jump out of this plane at this time. When the director said, Remy, do this, I just did it. 
And it worked in my favor because um, a few weeks later, the, the 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 woman called me back and she said, Michael Bay likes you, likes how you are on set, and he wants to know if you're available for two more weeks of filming. I said, sure. Uh, actually, three more weeks of filming. I said, sure. So I filmed for a week in Arizona, then I flew to Michigan, filmed for two weeks in Michigan, and that's when, when Bay's uh, people approached me and said, hey, uh, he wants to give you a role uh, that's going to film uh, through to the end. Are you available? And I said, sure. And that's kind of how I got into Hollywood and other doors uh, from there, really begin to spring open. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. How was your experience on the uh, Transformer set? It was great. It was great. I mean, I, uh, Mark Wahlberg is awesome. He's an awesome, down to earth, cool dude. Josh Demel, I got really cool with him. Um, uh, you know, it was. It was. I had no complaints, man. It was every day. I just had to pinch myself and ask myself, like, how did I get here? <laughs> What's going on? But. <laughs> It was it was fun, man. I got to travel travel to London and all these different places, and just got to experience the Hollywood life. <laughs> and I say that in quotations, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it wasn't bad at all. Awesome, man. That's great. That's some good stuff right there, man. All right. So, yeah. what are you doing nowadays? I mean, now that you, you've you've written a book, and uh, I mean, yeah. what's what's your structure like nowadays? Wow. So, so right now I'm writing a film now. I'm writing a screenplay. Oh, damn. Um, Good. And, and, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I got into writing and, 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 and I've had this idea for this movie for years. It's an espionage thriller. And, and, and I wasn't going to write it. I was going to hire another writer to write it. But then, you know, after writing my book and, 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 and just the reviews that I've been getting from the book's not out yet, but the people who have read the book so far for reviews and reviews have been fantastic. It really kind of energized me to write the screenplay. I started saying to myself, man, I wrote this book. I could write a screenplay. So I saw my everyday uh, schedule right now consists of me right, sitting at this desk and writing my screenplay as well as doing marketing and PR for my book. Cause I still got to keep up with my, with my book cause that releases in January. And, uh, yeah, you know, podcasts, interviews, and 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 consulting gigs. I got hit up for a consulting job uh, uh, yesterday that I might be a part, be working working on. So it's, it's, it's diverse. Every day is different, but for the most part, over the past few weeks, it's been writing this film. Uh, I have some interest from some major people in Hollywood who are highly interested in the screenplay. So I'm just really trying to get it done uh, right. Uh, so that I could that could start really presenting them and, and seeing what offers the best offer for me, and then also on top of that, I've I've gotten a lot of interest from from major people in Hollywood. I won't mention the studio's names for the rights to my book uh, uh, because there's a lot of people in Hollywood who are interested in in optioning the rights to turning my book into a film, and the book hasn't come out yet. So you know, between that and my screenplay and, and other projects, I'm always staying busy, man. <laughs> Great work, no doubt. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your mindset, all right, that type of resiliency that you obviously, you know, are deploying every single day, right? I mean, you're, you're putting that mindset out there in everything that you're doing. You're living a life, basically, that is, you know, you're constantly going, but you're, you know, you're crushing through different challenges and obstacles day in and day out because there's no way you can sit here and tell me that you know your days don't have obstacles and challenges especially with everything you do so i want to know how you're overcoming these daily challenges and how you continue pushing yourself well wow that's i got a lot of answers for that one is um i've learned how to take a getting punched in the face and I think every single person, especially this younger generation, they need to learn how to get punched in the face, but not, not, not wallow in pain and feel sorry for themselves, but pick themselves up and say, okay, I got punched in the face. 
Now it's time for me to move on. Uh, so, you know, going through, growing up in the Bronx, going through steel train, I learned how to take a beating and still keep ticking. Uh, and so that's one thing that helps me tremendously. Another thing is, you know, it goes back to what I learned in SEAL training. Uh, you're going to fail. I mean, essentially the way SEAL training is set up for the most part, it's set up for you to, to fail. Uh, and not necessarily overall, I mean, in different evolutions. Uh, and the reason why the instructors do that is because they, they want to train you to, to be able to, to figure out a way around. You know, so when you fail at something, they want sure. you, they want they want to create in you this mindset that okay, I ran into this wall. It looks impossible for me to get through this wall. I need to figure out a way around this wall, and 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 that's my mindset. Um, when something happens, I like it's automatic for me to not give up, not say okay, that's impossible. It's automatic for me to say I need to figure out a way to fix this. And I'll give you an example. Um, Last Friday was my buddy's wedding, a good friend of mine, former SEAL, and he told me about his wedding months ago. And I had his wedding, I had his, his save the date in my kitchen. I, so I was seeing it pretty much every day, and I knew his wedding was, was on, on Friday, and, and I planned to go. I took off work. I did everything that I needed to do to make sure that I was going to be there. Well, when Friday came, I got so swamped with work and life and all and, and obstacles that had been thrown my way that I totally forgot about the wedding. Totally forgot about the wedding. Well, the next day, Saturday morning, my wife says to me, she says, Remy, how was the wedding yesterday? Did you go? And I was just like, holy crap, I totally wow. forgot about his wedding. And I felt so bad. And in my mind, instead of like wallowing and feeling bad and just feeling sorry for myself, automatically I'm going into, okay, how can I fix this? Like, like it has to be where I saw So, so it started with the impossible. I started thinking about how can I rewind time to make sure I get to this wedding? <laughs> Which yeah, is not going to happen. Okay. How can I fix it? So I started working out different ideas in my mind. And finally, you know, I would I started messaging him and apologizing, apologizing. And he said to me, he said, what are you doing today? And I said, well, I have, I, have, I have a speaking engagement later tonight. He said, well, I'm going to have a, a post-wedding get-together tonight. Um, would you be willing to come? Uh, and I said, absolutely. I can only stay for a little bit amount of, a little short amount of time because I got I to gotta, you know, get to the speaking engagement. But I will drive as far as I have to drive. And I drove far. I drove like an hour, went there, gave him his wedding gifts, spent time with the family members that were in the wedding and the friends that were in the wedding and, and his wife and all of these things. And, 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 and I said to myself afterwards, thank God I didn't give up. Thank God I didn't just sure. say to myself, man, I missed a wedding. I feel sorry for myself. That sucks. I feel sorry for myself. I can't do anything about it, but I figured out a way. And yeah, it wasn't the ideal way, but it was a way to kind of make things right. And so that's a big part of my warrior mindset is trying to always figure out a way when it seems like there is no way. Um, yeah. Those are some great words, man. Great words. And to kind of dive deep into that specific scenario, for example, I mean, the bottom line is this. Unfortunately, our society nowadays does not have that same grit, right? That same tenacity to continue and follow through like you did. Like, for example, not everything is overcoming physical challenges or sometimes even mental challenges. There are challenges like this right here that you had. Well, shit, you know, this guy's your buddy, somebody that, that you've known. And out of respect, right, and you 
just stepped up to the plate. You know, you 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 know called him or texted him, and you you communicated, and you basically manned manned up. You know, and when you do that, man, you just get stronger, right? I mean, you know, you if you do that day in and day out. I, mean, I don't know if you agree with me here, but your mind and your body and your spirit just get stronger and stronger if you do the right thing. Absolutely, and because it's conditioning, right? It's conditioning. It's building. It's building. Um, it's, it's, it's building calluses, so to speak, you know, where, where you're getting harder. And, and somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, Remy, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be more disciplined. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be stronger mentally. Like, what is it that I could do? Any piece of advice that you can give me? And I said, do hard things. I said, do things that suck. I, I told this kid, I said, I said, you're in high school, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, this semester, when you when you get an assignment and that assignment is due three weeks from the day you got the assignment, do the assignment that same day. Stay up all freaking night and grind and crush and do it with perf- as, as much perfection as you can. And it's going to be that you putting that time limit on yourself, you putting that pressure on yourself. It's going to help build mental toughness. It's going to help build those calluses so that when you find yourself in a situation where you have to apply the mental toughness because you whipped yourself continuously, it's just natural for you to be able to do it. It's just natural for you to be able to say, okay, I need to figure out a way. The issue is so many people are not willing to put that added pressure on themselves to build those calluses. Then, you know, just like the gym, so many people are not willing to go to the gym on their own to crush a workout. Uh, they need a personal trainer. Now, there's nothing wrong with a personal trainer, but here's my mindset. If I want to get better at something, I need to go out and put the pressure on myself. And, and that's why I never trained with anybody before I went to SEAL training. I never did. People would come up to me all the time and they say, Remy, would you, would you train with me? And I would, say, I would say, yeah, I'll train with you one day, but I'm not counting on you to train. Because if I count on you to go train, or if I need to wait for you to train, or if I need somebody to work out with in order to prepare for SEAL training, when I get to SEAL training and I'm getting kicked in the nuts, I'm going to look to that person who I train with to, to motivate me to get through the day. I didn't want to have to look to anybody that motivated me. That's why I motivated myself every single day. I didn't have a car, so I would run three miles to the pool. I couldn't swim. I would jump in the pool anyway and try to figure it out. And then I would run three miles back to my barracks. Why did I do that? So that when I got to SEAL training, I knew deep down that I kicked myself in the nuts. I ran the three miles when I didn't have a car. I got in the pool when I couldn't swim. And that's what got me there was my grit, my mindset, my hard work, no one else. So, you know, I know I said a lot there, but, but the main point is, 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 is in order to get hard and to build discipline, you need to be willing to do the things that other people don't want to do on your own and on your own time and not on somebody else's time when they're making you uh, do something that you don't really want to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally, man. And, uh, you know, it, there, there's a lot of power right there in what you said, because the reality is that, man, it's that internal fortitude, right? It's that internal drive that really builds who you are inside. I want to know your opinion in how important it is to surround yourself with the right people. I think it really is important. I mean, I have a saying, it's a, it's a proverb that I have memorized, and it, and it goes like this, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. Um, I like uh, that. I like that. You know, um, I, 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 I don't, I've gotten myself to the point where I don't, in order for me to grow, I haven't 
kind of like what I just mentioned. I don't need to put myself around people to motivate me, but, um, but there are wise people within my circle and, and the majority of them are former SEALs. Um, because, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to be the best, you got to learn from the best. You got to grow and you got to be around the best. You got to grow with the best. So, so a lot of the guys that, that, that I go to, uh, for guidance or mentorship or, or, you know, if I have a question about something or guys who I've, you know, who I've trained with, who I'm going to war with and, 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 and guys who I could count on to give me the proper advice and guys who are going to tell me, Hey, dude, you're wrong. Uh, you need to do things this way. Um, so I, I think it is important to surround yourself with the right people and, and surrounding yourself with the, around the right people doesn't always need to necessarily, doesn't always necessarily mean, uh, you know, physical people who, you know, it could be something as simple as a podcast. You know, listening to a podcast where you're going to get wise advice, where you're going to get wisdom. You know, YouTube, I was telling somebody the other night, you can get your PhD from just watching <laughs> so, like, information that's out there. You know, there's so, yeah. there's so much wise, uh, there's so much wisdom on YouTube and on Google. There's a lot of garbage there, too. But there's a lot of wisdom uh, that you can use to, to kind of, you know, if you don't have access to, to certain people uh, that you could kind of rely on. But, yeah, it's, it's very important to surround yourself with, with, with successful, uh, intelligent people who are going to push you, you know, uh, and not the opposite. Cool. So I'm going to take it down that road here. And because society now, we are definitely on that upper level of communication and information dissemination, right? Unfortunately, what we see and what I see specifically here is that people constantly try to shortcut shit. And what I'm saying this is, you know, they feel that for whatever reason, listen, there's a there's a saying nowadays that, you know, hey, if I can work, you know, four hours a week or I can do things, you know, online, on the Internet and become a, a millionaire that way, I don't have to get my hands dirty. Now, with that said, while I do agree to some level that definitely information is a little bit has helped us a little bit uh, to become more efficient in our information dissemination and be able to connect with people that in general years ago we would never be able to connect. The fact still is that for you to develop that internal fortitude, for you to develop that strong mindset, you have to get dirty, man. You got to bleed in that battlefield a little bit because the bottom line is that you cannot just sit there at home, you know, laying down in your, uh, you know, in your bed with your laptop, making whatever amounts of money. It's not going to get you stronger in mind. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, uh, you know, just to kind of touch on the first part of your question, um, things take time. Things take time. It's interesting because I, I have to get on my system about this a lot. Uh, because he's 21 and, 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 and he sees where I am today. Uh, he sees me. I get phone calls for all kinds of big jobs all the time. He sees the type of business that I generate. He sees the opportunities I have in Hollywood. And, and in his mind, he's just like, wow, I just have to do this quick little thing like Remy did. And when I say quick little thing, I mean like what Rebby has done in the last month, and that's going to get me to where Rebby is today. And I tell him, I say, dude, the reason why I am where I am and I get offered the opportunities that I get offered is because of the decades of work. And I told him, I said, it started back when I made the decision to join the military. 
And it probably even started years before that when I began to learn how to hustle in the streets and I began to, not, not advocating that, but when I learned how to, you know, uh, take a beating and I learned how to uh, 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 decipher who's telling me the truth and who's not. And then finally, you know, there was lessons that I learned from joining the military and, and then getting in the military and then going through SEAL training and then getting out and, and, and then going to the SEAL teams and deploying multiple times and coming back and, and then getting out of the military and, and starting from the bottom. Because when I got out of the military, dude, I, I had sixty. I had no, I had about forty thousand dollars in my savings account, and me and my wife. My wife is a doctor, and she was in residency at the time. And she wasn't making any money, so we had to live off of off of my savings for my last deployment that I went on, and and and, and I had to I had to build essentially from nothing all over again. And so what I told my assistant is like, we're looking at decades of grinding and building and nothing happens overnight. You got to get out there and put in the work. Sure, sure. You, you, you got to be willing that if you want to work out, if you want to get big, you got to go to the gym. If you, you know, and, and I'm all for education. I wasn't before because I thought I had all the answers until I went and got my bachelor's and master's. But you, you got to be willing to go to school. You, you got to be willing to, 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 to go to business meetings and seminars and, and you got to get out there and it's going to take time. Nothing is going to happen overnight. It's going to take years. Hell, it may, might take decades. But at the end of the day, when you have put in all of the years of work, you will appreciate where you are, when you arrive where you arrive. You're going to appreciate it so much more. Um, so, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about self-confidence and how you you know, got stronger in self-confidence as you transitioned from the military out into civilian life. I mean, it started again. It, 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 my self confidence is where it is, and has always been where it is, for the most part, due to my upbringing. I, and I give a lot of credit to my mother. Uh, my mom was always a very, very confident woman. Uh, when my father died, you, you got to think about it for a second. She went from being a millionaire's spouse to being broke with a dead husband. And my mom could easily, you know give it up. She could easily went and try to find another rich guy to marry so that her and her two kids could be taken care of, but she did not. Uh, she picked herself up off the floor and she said, you know what, boys, I don't know how we're going to make it, but I'm going to bust my butt every day so that we will make it. And, and my mom didn't talk a lot. She didn't talk a lot. She, 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 she showed us. She didn't tell us. She lived out perseverance and she lived out confidence you know, every single day of her life. So I had a, I had a, I had a living witness, a living example every day to watch. And that's where my confidence began to come. That's where it came from. It came from watching my mom and seeing how confident she was, even though we didn't have the things that we needed to have at times. And so after seeing that for 19 years and then, and then going into the Navy and then going to SEAL training and, and, and applying that, those principles in SEAL training that my mom had taught me over the years. And then once you make it through SEAL training, I mean, your confidence level is through the roof. So after having watched it and then making it through SEAL training, once I got out of the military, I was just like, there's nothing in life I can't do. Um, that, that's good, man. Badass. Badass. So let's go back into your life here and just give me an idea of the most difficult time in your life where you felt like, man, the fucking world is coming down on me. I'm getting crushed from every angle and somehow, some way you stepped up and got through it. Uh, my most difficult time of all time or just like recently? 
it, you you it's up to you man just give me one of those one of those times where you felt like man <laughs> the earth was just coming down on you well I, I can i mean the most recent one that comes to mind is my book uh uh writing my book um i uh, just to kind of give you a bit backstory i signed my book deal with harper collins last august um started out writing uh and the plan was 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 for me to write uh and i started out writing and in December, I turned in, you know, half of the book to the publisher and, and the publisher wasn't pleased with the writing, not because of the, the, the style or the grammar or the storytelling. For the most part, they were just not happy with the length uh, in their mind. They were like, if Remy keeps writing the way he's writing, he's going to turn in a 200,000 word book and <laughs> we can't have him turn in a 200,000 word book. <laughs> Uh, and, and I, I, <laughs> I knew in my mind, I was like, I knew I was going to turn it into a word book. I knew I was going to go back and cut stuff and I knew I was going to go back and change stuff. I just needed to get everything on paper, but they lost confidence in me as a writer. Um, and so they, and, and, and because they lost confidence in me as a writer, they convinced me to hire a writer, um, to write the rest of my book. And so, you know, me being a first time writer and not knowing any better, I listened to my publisher and I found a writer and uh, uh, I started working with him uh, a week after uh, after a week after I, fi- I hired him. And uh, I went out to Cleveland and I worked with his assistant. I, re- I pretty much dictated everything that I was going to wanted to say on a paper. And then she was she took that and she translated exactly what I said word for word on the paper and she gave it to the writer, the guy who I hired for him to kind of formulate it into a story. Uh, well, a month later in January, he gives me a phone call and he says to me, hey, Remy, um, uh, I got the first three chapters ready. And in my mind, I'm pissed because I'm like, dude, it's been a month and you only have three chapters ready. I paid you $10,000 a month ago. You should have more than three chapters ready. Uh, but sure. I, I couldn't dwell on that too long. So anyway, he, I read the first three chapters and they were atrocious. They were horrible. I had to ask myself, dude. Oh, if, damn. I, the, the writing was just bad. Uh, he had stuff like, man, so when I was on the corner with my boys drinking, you know, this nigga came up to me and said this and that. And I'm like, bro, first off, I don't talk like that. First, secondly, no one in the Bronx talks like that. But here it is. I have an older white guy try to write the story of a young African-American kid. So the writing was really, really bad. Uh, and there's more to the story. I won't go down the entire road, but I ended up having to fire him. When I called my publisher and told him I had to fire them, they freaked out. And they were just like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to push back the release date. We can't believe this is happening. How could this happen? I mean, they were just losing. And I was like, listen, I'm a, wow. frog. I'm a frog man. I've come from worse. Yes, this sucks. Yes, I'm at the bottom. I know my due date. Now, my due date was in like 45 days. So, you Damn, to, man, okay. you know, to write a book in 45 days, that's mm-hmm. unheard of. Uh, and so I figured it, I, it, was a, it was a low point for me. But I just said, you know what, I, re- I, I look back at all the other hard things I've been through in life. I look back at the other things that I had overcome. And again, I didn't feel sorry for myself. I figured out a way. And I'm going to tell you, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. For, I mean, there was, I mean, was times when I was writing until 2, 3 in the morning, going to bed for 2, 3 hours, waking up, getting my kids ready for school and coming back in my office and writing some more. And, and that was a low point for me. But the, the, but, but, you know, the blessing in all of it is, because of how low it was, when I finally turned in the book to the publisher, and they, and, and, and which is a whole other story, because 
they didn't want to read it. Uh, <laughs> I got into a bit of a, a, a really? with them about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that's a whole other story. But that I ain't gonna, I don't want to mention it because then my publisher's gonna be bad. <laughs> but, 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 you know, they kind of gave me an ultimatum where if we read it and we don't like it, uh, you can owe us some money. Uh, so, you know, it might be better for you to not turn it in and, and, and owe us less money than to owe us more money. And so I said, I don't care. I trust my skills. I'm confident in who I am. And I turned it in and they read it and they loved it. And they were just like, we can't believe awesome. pulled it off. And so I say that to say it was the lowest point for me, but because I didn't feel sorry for myself and because I put in the work and, and in those 45 days, when I, when it was finally over, it was the highest point for me. And, you know, if there's any lessons to get out of that, you know, you know, those lows can be low sometimes. But again, if you don't feel sorry for yourself, you try to figure out a way. The, the, the yeah, man, that, that's so, so crucial. Yeah. Yeah, so crucial. I mean, you, you did not feel sorry for yourself and your mentality was strong. You believed in yourself that, hey, you know what, even if I have to freaking sleep an hour or a night, I am going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and knock this book out. And you did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now you have a really, when is the release date for the book? Uh, release is January 22nd. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So I want to get into a little bit of you, the way you kind of your daily habits, right? The way that you live your daily life. Give me a little bit of a, of a glimpse inside Remy's life. Okay, so when I wake up in the morning, I try to wake up at 5.30, but usually that hasn't been working the past <laughs> past month because I've been so busy traveling, it's thrown off my schedule. But I usually try to get up at 5.30. I do morning devotional. Uh, so my morning devotional consists of uh, 30 minutes in the Bible, reading the Bible, because that's where I get uh, fed spiritually. That's where I get insight. That's, you know, what, what, what I learned so many lessons about myself and about life through that. And then I try to spend 30 minutes in prayer. Um, after that, uh, uh, I come downstairs and, 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 and I go through my routine where I make juice. I make fresh juice for my wife and, and, and my son, one of my sons, because my other son doesn't like it, and myself. And it's a healthy kale, broccoli, ginger, all healthy fruits, all healthy vegetables, and, and only like one apple is the only fruits. But, but I do that just to kind of, you know, cleanse my system a bit. And then I make my kids breakfast, get them to school. And after I get them to school, I'm straight, I go straight to the gym. I go straight to the gym. I kick myself in the nuts. Every workout sucks. Even to this day, people ask me, man, why do you push so hard, dude? Like, <laughs> you're not training to be a SEAL anymore. And it's just my mentality. I go to the gym. Sure. I, I crush a workout. And after I crush my workout, that's when I start working. That's when I come to my desk. And that's when I write, get on interviews, get on phone calls, and do what I got to do. And, that, and, I, and I do that until about 4.30, 5.30, depending on the day. And then I go pick my kids up from school. And I spend good, solid, quality time with my kids. Um, until they go to bed, uh, and, 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 and until my wife gets home, and that's my day. That's awesome, man. So, as far as being a father, as, how challenging has that been for you? It hasn't been challenging for me at all. The mo well, 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 what what is challenging? And, and if you're married with kids, I'm sure you can relate to this. Is 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 um, my wife comes from a completely different background than I come from. And, and, and so the most challenging thing for me as a father is getting on the same page with my wife about, you know, how to raise our kids or certain decisions that need to be made made in, in, in relation to our kids. That's the hardest part of being a father. Other than that, man, man, it, I, it's, 
it's not much of a challenge for me. Well, I would say another hard thing for me is because I travel so much, it's hard to be away from them. But other than that, it's just like, it's a blessing, man. And, and every day, I'm just, I, I just want my kids to be better than I, than, than me. And so, you know, and because I, because they have me in their life and I didn't have my father in, in my life, I think that they have the potential to be better than me. So anyway, it's amazing. That's some good stuff, man. That's some good stuff. And and certainly, you know, busy guy like yourself, you know, I mean, you're out there. But the bottom line is that you're still with your children. You find the time. You make sure that, you know, you take that hat off, you know, after you're done work and doing your thing and you just become a dad. You know, you, you, you're out there definitely raising your kids. And this is what I tell a lot of the guys out there is, look, I mean, you can go and kick ass, whatever it is that you do in your life, but make time for your family, make time for your kids, right? I mean, that is part of being a warrior nowadays. Because in reality, man, I mean, Remy, you know, there's so many kids. I mean, you grew up, you know, obviously with a single mom most of your life. So you know that in reality nowadays, kids, and especially with single parenting is prominent now in the United States states yeah man it's it's difficult man parents have it pretty difficult with all this social media and what the kids are exposed to damn you know it's pretty yeah. crazy out there no, i agree 100 percent, man i agree and, and 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 i see the difference when i go away for like two three days i see how when I when I'm gone and come back, they're like more reckless. They're more on edge because they because daddy wasn't home. And so I couldn't imagine and that's one of the reasons why I got out of the military. Because I was like, you know, when I have kids, I need to be around as much as I can. Um sure. But yeah, man, it's it's very important for a father to be in the life of their kids, man, and, and to just be and when I and be present, not just present physically, but present emotionally, mentally, not on your phone in the room, you know, not watching TV right, right. present with your kids. It's, 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 yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. And another, and one thing I try to do with my kids, we spend a lot of time together during the week when I'm home, but every Friday, you know, we go out, you know, my wife, she's gotten all, she's gotten upset about it recently, but every Friday we go out and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're somewhere at a restaurant, just me and my two boys. And, and the reason why I do that is because I want them to see, you know, I want them to see that, you know, daddy does this because I want them to be able to do that with their kids. I want them to really be able to check out from everything in life, that, you know, and, and just say, you know what, dad, my dad spent quality time with me. And so, oh yeah, because I saw that, this is what I'm going to do with my kids. So. No doubt, no doubt about it, man. Hey, Remy, what is your definition, man, of a modern-day warrior? Well, uh, man, my definition of a modern-day warrior, one of them was many, but one is a, a, a man or woman who is willing to put others before themselves. Um, one who doesn't see other people as a stepping stone to a next rank or a career or see people as just objects to, to, to fulfill their greatest desires, but see people as, as people with a genuine soul who needs to be cared for. Uh, uh, to me, that's the heart of a warrior, you know, is, is, is to not be exalted above others, but to be a servant to others. And essentially that's what a warrior is, right? When you look back uh, throughout, you know, the echoes of time, you know, warriors were servants. 
they, they, they no were, doubt, man. They were, no they were doubt. servants who served country, who served family, who served ethos, who served you know whatever it is that they were called to serve. But they were servants, and so to me, that's that's the uh, that's the uh, epitome of a warrior is a servant. Um, another you know another example, another point I would say is is is, is one who is open minded. You know, a, a warrior's open minded. What I mean by that is someone who is willing to look at all perspectives. Not just look at one perspective and then make a judgment or make a decision based off of that one perspective, but a but a, 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 a strategic mind who is willing to look at all perspectives and then be able to to, to, to give a constructive answer. Uh, and and I learned this from my time as a warrior, as a SEAL. My job in the SEAL teams, I was an intelligence collector, uh, and, and I can't go into all the details about what that entailed, but essentially. I was the guy who would go out in regular civilian clothes and collect information. And based off of that information, we would go on missions to go after bad guys. And so as an intelligence collector, I had to, as an intelligence collector who was a warrior, I couldn't just take information from one source and run with it. I had to look at all sure. of these different perspectives in order to make a proper decision because based off of the decisions that I was going to make would determine whether we were going on a mission or not. And then we went on a mission because of the, the wrong perspectives. That can mean the difference between life or death of me and the people around me. And so again, another, another uh, definition of a warrior is one who is open-minded to the point of looking at other people's perspectives. The enemy's Love perspective, it, as, well as, 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 as well as the um, teammate's perspective. And I don't know if those are the first two that come to mind. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Hey, listen, where can our listeners follow you, contact you, communicate with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Remy Adeleke, R-E-M-I, and then Adeleke, A-D-E-L-E-K-E. Facebook on uh, Remy Adeleke, uh, LinkedIn, Remy Adeleke, Twitter, Remy Adeleke. And then uh, my book website is transformedstory.com. Again, that's transformedstory.com. And uh, uh, if you go on that site, you can pre-order a copy of the book. We're going to be releasing some exclusive content to to everyone who does pre-order the book in the next few few, few weeks. I would say a few weeks to a month, a few months. But but yeah, that's where you can get a hold of me. Your book is being released when? Uh, book releases January 22nd. Got it. All right. Uh, for, my, for our listeners here, what I'm going to do on the show notes itself on the site, I'm going to go ahead and put the links uh, to Remy's books and uh, his book, his new book, Transformed. I'm also going to put the link to his uh, social media. So give him a follow on social media and go ahead and order that book because I, I have not read it yet, but I'm, I'm very confident that it's going to be a badass book. And as soon as it, uh, I'm going to pre-order myself one coming up here. So um, some good stuff there. All right, Remy, listen, man, it has been an absolute honor to have you on some absolutely phenomenal nuggets of wisdom. And I got to tell you, man, you, you are legit. You're squared away. I love the way that you articulate yourself. You're one badass dude, man, that came from, you know, the Bronx, you know, had a tremendous, you know, hard, hard life, but you've, you've made it, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for having me on. It's an honor, man. All right, brother. Take it easy and stay safe. We'll talk soon. All right, you too. God bless. 
Boom shakalaka. What a great conversation with Remy. I got to tell you, this guy is dynamic and he's energizing. What a fabulous story. Very inspiring, very motivational. But more importantly, there was so much to get from this story, right? I mean, we're talking about the perseverance, the grit, the way he was able, all right, to come out of that darkness of that street, okay, and bring himself to an elite level. Listen, I hope that you took notes here. And you'll be able to implement and integrate some of these elements into your own life. All right, guys, listen up. Miami, Florida, December 1 and 2. I want to see you at the Conclave of Warriors. So important. This is going to be a life-changing event. Go grab your tickets at conclaveofwarriors.com. All right, until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.